0: Hey, it's so good to be with you guys uh, this evening. We're going to take a little bit of a pause in the Throne of David series, um, and, and I want to talk about something different that's a little bit outside of the series. I want to address something that I feel like God is interested in getting into our culture here in Newburgh, and so if he wants it in our culture here in Newburgh, he's got to get it in us first. Um When I was 17 years old, I started following Jesus, and it was a radical change for my life. I went from living one way entirely, seeing myself one way entirely, to living just completely differently. And by the time I got to the age 18, I began asking that question that many of you young people are asking, maybe even some of us older people are asking as well, which is, God, who am I? What am I destined to do? What would you have me step into in my life? And I remember I just began to ask this question and, I, and, and my parents, I, they probably remember this, I would draw on my walls in my bedroom, they painted over it now, but uh, I would draw with Sharpie all over the walls in my bedroom, just any testimony of the Lord, any word that he'd given me, I'd be reading the scriptures and something would be illuminated and I'm like, I'm going to put this on the doorpost of my house, this room inside my parents' house. And uh, so uh, anyway, I began to just ask the Lord, like, w- w- what am I destined for, God. And he said a lot of different things, but I remember one of the things that just really stood out to me is he said, Alex, I've created you and I've designed you to be a part of revival. It wasn't necessarily to lead a revival or anything like that, but it just, Alex, I want you to have the heart that wants to be in the room when I show up. Just want to be in the room. I don't need to be on the stage. I just want to be in the room. And, and I remember at that time, I was going to this thing called The Way. It was a, a young adult's ministry happening this about 10 years ago or so, and I remember, uh, you would just, every night, we'd meet on Friday nights, every night you would see just people from my high school just coming in through the back doors, people who I thought would never follow Jesus, just streaming in, coming, getting saved, getting set on fire for the Lord. And, And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And and as I reflected upon that, I thought, yeah, that's what revival's like. It's God's awareness increasing. It's it's God renewing a people and and thus renewing a place. It's it's a group of people that are saying, there's no other priority in my life but the kingdom. And I began to just see these people just get saved and get get a, a completely new perspective on God and on life. And I just said, that's what I want to give my life to. I want to give my life to see revival. There was even a time in my life where I um, forgot about this. Have you ever forgotten about your destiny? There was a time in my life where I forgot about this, and I thought it was something else, and I remember I met Andoni and Jacob, and they reminded me of what my destiny was, because if you don't know what your destiny is, you need to find your people, and they'll remind you of what your destiny is. And uh, so anyway, I, I, one of the things that I began to ask myself as I, as I kind of narrowed it, okay, revival, okay, what exactly is that? Um, how does that happen, Lord? One of the primary questions that I began to ask is, how do we sustain revival? Uh, If you've ever studied any revivals in in history, you know that uh, they seem to come for a a period of time and then they fade out. And then they come for a period of time over here and then they kind of fade out. And and I just began to just say, no, no, no. I want all of my life to be revival. I want it to just be vival. That's what I want. I not know re about it. I just want it to be life. Like, I want it to just, to just live in that. Uh, and so I began to ask the Lord, well, what sustains revival? And uh, that's a little bit of what I want to talk about this evening. So, so maybe we should start here. What is revival? What do we mean when we say that? Well, break down the word. Re is to do again, right? To replay, to repeat, re. And... Vive is to live. Viva. How do you like that? There you go, Andoni. That's my Spanish for the evening. Um, it's to live. It's, so it's to relive. It's to live again, if you will. What is interesting is that if revival is living again, that's what it is, then whatever sustains revival will be the same thing that sustains life. Whatever sustains revival is the thing that sustains life because revival is to live again. So what sustains life? Well, it's interesting. Genesis uh, tells us this. God spoke and the world came into being. So so pause for a moment. I know we've heard this a million times, but just go there with me. God speaks and a world exists. God speaks and life. Jesus says this in the Gospels. He says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father all humans are alive because he speaks. Everyone in this room exists because God is speaking. And he's still speaking. But it's even more beautiful for those who are in Christ. John fifteen fifteen says this. I no longer call you slaves, for slaves do not know their master's business. Instead, I call you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. Now, what does this mean? Well, what it means is that Jesus speaks to his friends, that friends, get, friends of God, they get inside information about what the Father is up to. So when you become a friend of God, he welcomes you in so that he can give you inside information about his intentions in the kingdom. In other words, the revelation, the words of life are told to those who are friends with God. That's why when Jesus comes, he says, I've come to bring life and life abundantly. See, everybody else, you're existing generally because of the general spoken word of God, but I have come specifically so that you will live abundantly on the friend words of God. So revival, this dream that I have for Newberg would be that there would be a people who become friends with God so that they get connected to the words of life again. What is Revival. It's this, God is interested in giving you an identity that has access to the things that really make you live. God is interested in giving Newberg identities that carry with them that friendship identity that carries with it access to the words of God that really will bring them to life. So here's what I wanna do this evening. I wanna talk about, if you're taking notes, write these things down. If you're not taking notes, Write these things down. I want to talk about three keys to the identity of the disciple who remains in revival, who sustains revival in their lives. Three keys, uh, or another way to think about it is three ways of thinking that need to shift um, to the disciple who remains in revival. So if you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 61. That's where we're going to begin this evening been just a super important passage in the life of this church and my life as well, and there's just a couple different passages that I want to look at tonight. So Isaiah 61 is uh, the first one. Uh, The key, the first key is this, cultural renewal moves at the speed of personal renewal. Cultural renewal moves at the speed of personal renewal. Renewal. Uh, Most of the time, when we think of cultural influence, we relegate it to the wealthy, to the beautiful, those who have positions of power, but Jesus' vision is a tad different. Now, um, what, what we're about to read is what Jesus read in the Gospel of Luke when he kind of his coming out. When he comes out and he says, this is what I'm about. This is what my project is about. And he stands up in the temple and he reads this passage that we're about to read. So this is really his mission statement on the kingdom of God. It says this in Isaiah 61 verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What a, what a mission statement! Now I want you to think about who God is targeting in this passage. I want to start at the beginning again, and I want, I want to actually kind of bring out what is what is God saying when He says this about His kingdom. It says this: "The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me." Notice this: the Spirit of God is never given to somebody without a, an assignment coming with it. The Spirit of God is never given to you without an assignment. We're not just get, we, Notice this: the Spirit is called the Spirit of Comfort, but we are not called comforters. Do you know what that means? We're called conquerors, and how many of you guys understand that conquerors need comfort? So we're given the spirit of comfort because we've been given an assignment to conquer. Next, next week, maybe we'll talk more about that or something. <laughs> okay. It says this because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? The poor. So you would think that Jesus comes on the scene and he's like, okay, I want to start a kingdom. I need to meet all of the high rollers. Who are the heavy hitters? Who are the people who are really the movers and shakers? And he's like, no, the spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. To the poor. Notice what social strata the kingdom begins with. And notice what he does with the poor. It says this. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So anybody broken?" Anybody need help? Anybody have places in their lives that have yet to be turned around for good? Okay, Jesus is after those people. He's after those places. He says this, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Are you captive emotionally? Are you you captive spiritually, mentally? Are you actually free? Okay, you're not? Awesome. Jesus has come to release you. Jesus has come to give you freedom to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love this. This is so beautiful. What is it? Jesus comes on the scene, and he's like, you know what? Uh, in fact, actually, this is kind of a fun little fact. In the, in the book of Luke, when Jesus reads this, he stops there. Notice the next line. What is it? It's in the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus doesn't read that part when he stands up in the temple. Why? You guys ready to get uncomfortable? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, okay? But Jesus doesn't read in the day of vengeance of our God. Why not? (laughs) Because uh, Jesus is the one who's going to receive the day of vengeance so that we get to have nothing proclaimed over our life but favor. (laughs) There's many theologies that are built off of a line that Jesus never said. And Jesus, he stands there and he says, he sets the tone. He says, I am revealing the Father. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. I'm revealing the Father. What does that mean? Is that he's the exact representation of the Father. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And what is Jesus doing? He's proclaiming the year, the epic, the season of the Lord's favor over you. It's good news. God is in a good mood. (laughs) God loves people. He's, he, all the vengeance, guess where it went? It went to Jesus on the cross. If there was anything left, then it would have been cruel to make Jesus go through that vengeance and not be a complete sacrifice like Hebrews 10 talks about. It says this, to comfort all who mourn. Is anybody sad? Jesus is here to comfort you and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them. And I love this exchange language a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Has your life been burned to just a heap of ashes? There's a crown of beauty for you. Oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is one of the first things that the Lord spoke of over our church is that we would uh, be the kind of church that made that exchange for people. A garment of praise in exchange for the faint spirit. There's a spirit that causes fatigue. There's a spirit that causes depression. And what God is interested in doing is giving you this other, the spirit's garment, the Holy Spirit's garment, in exchange for that. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of His splendor. Now, what is this that we just read? What exactly is Jesus proclaiming when He says this? When He repeats this? What What are we reading right here? Well, we're reading about personal renewal. We're reading about an exchanging for of an old way of life for a new way of life. It's like, are you broken? Are you tired? Are you hurting? Are you depressed? Are you, are you exhausted? Have, is your life in ashes? Great. Come to me, and I will give rest for your souls. I will exchange, and I will renew you personally. But then watch what happens once he renews people personally. Look down at your Bibles. Verse 3 again, it says this. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Look at what happens in verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So, what is God's plan for renewing a place? It's renewing a people. Who are the people that God wants to renew? Those who are down and out, those who are poor, those who are broken, not the beautiful, not the attractive, not the wealthy, not the influential. He's coming, you see, sometimes, guys, this is really snuck into the church. I just feel like I need to go after this for a second. There's so much discussion in the church, capital C church as a whole, where we, in order to affect culture, we need to find the movers, find the shakers, find the powerful, and we need to get them Christian so that they will influence places. It's not to say, like, how many of you guys understand, the wealthy, the rich, the, the powerful, those people can also be broken and their lives can be ash heaps and all of that. So it's not to say that, but what it is to say is that we cannot disqualify or take a different vision than Jesus had. Jesus' vision was to the poor. Jesus' vision was to the brokenhearted. Jesus' vision was to the down and out. And he's, he doesn't look at them, and, and, and often what we do, oh man, often what we do is we go, oh, they're poor, they don't have any money, they're not, they're, in, our, in our current day, they're not privileged that's too bad, we need to raise them up to the standard that everybody else has. And God's like, that's unbiblical. Don't raise them up to the standard that everybody else has. I have chosen them to rebuild the ruined cities. I've chosen them to be the leaders. I've chosen them to go above and beyond. There's far too much uh, equipping of the poor so that they can get to one level without empowering them to lead us. And Jesus' vision, Jesus' message is, I'm looking for the poor because they're the ones who rebuild the ruined cities. Personal renewal means cultural renewal. In other words, check this out. It says this, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Your life exists to display his splendor. There's another theology in, our, in the Capital C Church that we've gone after multiple times here, which is this, the worse I look, the better he looks. This is unbiblical. What do we read? You're not a display of his splendor unless you're splendorous, unless you're wonderful, unless you're breathtaking. If you're not breathtaking to the people around you, he's not breathtaking. You have been designed to be renewed by him so that you can put on display his splendor. So God's plan for you is this: He wants to make you amazing because it reveals Him. So this is what personal renewal looks like. Where are you captive? When you look at your life and you go, "Okay, am I free here? Am I free there? I'm not free there." Okay, that's an area that God is highlighting right now that He wants to renew, that He wants to turn around. Where Where are you exhausted? That's an area that he wants to turn around and exchange. Uh, Where have things fallen apart? These are places where God wants to restore and then watch what happens because you'll start rebuilding cities. You'll start rebuilding your home culture. You'll start rebuilding your school culture. You'll start rebuilding your work culture and you'll start rebuilding your town's culture. This is how renewal happens. You want to see revival? We have to understand this. Revival isn't something that we go seek. It's something that we become. Speaking to uh, his disciples, Jesus said this in John 17. As the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you, speaking to his disciples. The question then becomes, well, if we're sent in the same way that Jesus was sent into the world, how was Jesus sent into the world? How How did God send Jesus? Well, maybe we have the answer right in front of us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. In other words, Jesus was sent with the ability to do what we just read listed out in chapter 61. And if we are sent in the same way that Jesus is sent, then we are sent with the ability to see everything that we just read in Isaiah chapter 61. So then we get to declare, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, and I am anointed to do the same things that Jesus did. We often set the bar for our lives lower than Jesus because we're afraid of being disappointed. But God is inviting us to risk disappointment but to possibly get rewarded with all of the kingdom coming through our lives in the way that it came through the life of Jesus. For those of us who sit here this evening and who read the scriptures and we go, oh, but that's Jesus. We need to level with this reality that as Jesus was sent into the world, so we are sent in the same way. This is a huge part of the mission of the church that you're in right now. Uh, my goal is not to get all of Newberg into a room so that we can convert them. Uh, I guess if that were to happen, that'd be cool, but my goal is to raise up a people who proclaim and declare the goodness of God, the, the year of favor over themselves and over others. That's what we're interested in doing. This is what we mean when we say that we're here to raise up big people, not big ministry. How many of you guys have heard us use that phrase before? Okay, well I'm using it now, so maybe you'll remember next time. Things it's like every message. Um, what we mean by raising up big people, not big ministry, is this. We don't really care what the ministry ends up looking like so long as we raise up a group of people who live with heaven-mindedness, heaven-to-earth thinking rather than earth-to-heaven thinking. I was recently talking with a couple friends of mine, and they were asking me, they don't go to our church, they were asking, you know, what's your church all about? So you went and planted a church, you know, what, what's the vision, what's kind of the passion behind it? And, uh, and I, I just said, well, you know, my job, my role as a pastor is to not, I, I'm not up here to be the smartest. I'm not up here to have information or answers for you. My job is to br- provide a place where encounter with God can happen and thus count confidence in his character can increase in your heart. That's my job is to provide a space for you to encounter God and to, uh, in that space, that your confidence in God's character would increase. And, and, I, and I said, so that when Monday comes... So that when the storm comes, so that when the doctor's call comes, so that when the car accident happens or the the finances take a downturn, so that when those things happen, your identity isn't touched and your worship isn't shaken. That's what it means to be a big person, is that you've so got the kingdom in you that you produce the kingdom around you and you don't allow the world around you to try to produce the world in you. And my friend said this, that seems a bit unreasonable, don't you think? It is unreasonable if your brokenness hasn't been bound up. It is unreasonable if you haven't been released from the mental or spiritual captivity. It is unreasonable if you don't see that your identity is the person who God proclaims favor over. Then it's very unreasonable. But many of us have created theologies about God far more based on our experience than what the truth actually tells us. But if you do... Let him proclaim that over you. If you do read this and you go, oh, he wants to renew me personally, notice what you become. You become a righteous oak. Now, this is an incredible photo that I recently just snapped at George Fox University. Um, and I know, that it's, I know it's breathtaking, but I just was working on this at the library, and I'm like, oaks? Oh, they have oaks out there. So I snapped a photo. But anyway, uh, George Fox's campus has tons of these old 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 oak trees my parents with the fox these were there huh yeah so uh really old i mean really old trees uh (laughs) and uh how does a tree get to be that strong how does a tree get to be that sturdy Roots. (laughs) yes roots the roots have gone deep it's not what i was going to go with but i'll try to go there for you babe um (laughs) (laughs) How, how, <laughs> I love you. How does, a, how does an oak become a righteous oak? How does an oak become a sturdy tree? It remains in a state of growth over a long period of time because of its deep roots. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so get this. Get this. God wants to renew Newburg by keeping you in a state of growth for life. When you stop growing, expect to stop seeing revival. When you stop digging your roots down into the truth, expect to stop seeing renewal happen around you. Keeping you connected to his proclamation of blessing, to his words of life, is his strategy for renewing this place that we live. So, key number one. I know, these other ones are going to be faster. Key number one, repeat after me. Put your hand over your heart. He renews me me. to renew my world. world. He renews me me. to renew my world. world. Key number two, we become what we focus on. We become whatever we focus on. John chapter 12 uh, says this, Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. I just love this passage. I read this the other day, and I got just thinking about it. Uh, what this passage is saying is this. Our focus, what we're focused on, either releases our destiny and clarity for our life, or our focus increases our confusion. What you focus on in this life will either increase confusion, or it will increase your destiny and clarity around that. So, so get this. You walk in the dark and you won't know where you're going. Can we put that back up on the screen? I just love this passage. It's so simple. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. (laughs) It's true. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. So get this. You walk without the light, and you're going to get confused about where you're going. But place your focus on the light, in this case, on Jesus, and guess what you become? Children of light. So here's the deal. You focus on darkness. You, you walk in darkness without the light. You're going to be very confused about your destiny, about clarity, around, vision around your life, all of that. You walk in the light, and guess what happens? It releases your destiny and your identity. You become a child of light. This is so key for the believer. It's, it's to steward our focus. It's to steward what we focus on. We live in the, the information age, and there's just so many things that are just, you know, rocketing at us all the time, whether it's the news or, or a new TV show or the radio or music or whatever, any kind of media, books, whatever. And, and all of these things, they're, they're coming at us, and what they're, what they're wanting to do is just get a little bit of a piece of us, just shape a little bit of us, right? And, and so all, I, I heard a, a friend of mine say this one time. He said, you know, the new the worship for the modern age is our focus, What I focus on is what I place my worship on. See, our view of God, when we focus on God and we see him accurately, it will become a lifestyle and a framework that we live in. Our view of God and how we see him when we focus on light, when we focus on him, uh, will determine what we ask him for or if we ask him for anything at all. Our view of God will determine our outlook on the world, the way that we think about things going on in and around the world. Our our view of God will uh, determine our emotional culture internally, right? In fact, I would argue that how we act and carry ourselves in many ways is dependent upon what we believe about God. People who are um, stressed out easily, frazzled, people who are easily angered, quick to to, to bite and to devour with their language, don't be mistaken, they have a theology that backs that personhood, a focus that either inhibits them or releases them. People who um, feel the need to monitor other people's opinions or beliefs, make no mistake, there's a theology behind that that God is controlling, that God actually, when he created Eden, he put one tree instead of two and because they feel controlled, they then look for ways to control and to manage other people. Oh, you have that opinion? No, no, no! I can't believe that you retweeted that. I can't believe that you said that. I can't. You agree with that? Oh, I need to talk with you. What is that? God put one tree in the garden, so I need to control you and make sure that you stay in line. And people who have peace and joy—trust me—they have a theology that backs that personhood as well. See, we whatever we focus on, we become. So who is God? Because that's who you're becoming. Who is God? That's who you're becoming. Now, here's the good news. We have a joyful God, so our identity gets to be joyful. Whoever has the most joy is the most trustworthy. Whoever has the most joy is the most trustworthy. Because they have the correct take on who our Father is. The challenge for every believer is to align their view of God with what the scriptures claim that his character is like. So when you speak to God, we speak to the God of the scriptures. When we pray to God, we pray to the God of the scriptures, not the God of our own imagination. So here's what I want to do. I want to just share some passages of scripture with you that show us the kind of character of uh, of this God that we serve. So the first one is this one. And maybe get your phone out, take some photos of these. These are just, I I read these, I'm blown away once again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God had a choice about who he wanted to appoint and he appointed those to, to follow him that they would not suffer from wrath, but that they would receive abundance and salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. and said he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, to come to repentance to come to life Romans uh, chapter 2 verse 4 this is just a seminal passage in our lives here at the church or do you or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance and patience not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance gosh sometimes we think ah, man I, I one time I met this guy uh, at this store downtown, this like home store, and uh, he found out that I was working at Bridgetown at the time, this church downtown Portland. He's like, Oh, I know you guys, you guys are never standing out on the street corners and preaching against the strip clubs and preaching against the bars and all this stuff. And I'm like, Yeah, because that's crazy. And he's like, You're never doing that. And I'm like, I know we don't, that's not something we do. He's like, he's like I'm out there every single night. I'm like, I'm good for you and he's like and you should be too you know he just kind of laid into me and I was like have you ever read that passage that says it's God's kindness that leads us to change our minds it doesn't say it's his wrath or is it's the threat of judgment that leads you to change your mind look it's either fear or love either fear's motivating you into the heart of God or it's love and if it's fear then you have a misunderstanding about who that father is Isaiah twenty nine thirteen through 14, this, this, oh man, this one is so good. Uh, these people, <laughs> these people, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. <laughs> so what do we learn? Next slide. We are appointed to have all the blessing of heaven given to us. God's will is that no one would perish. He leads us to truth with kindness. His response to our hearts being far is to do wonderful things again. That's the character of the God that we follow. So then, who are we? We become what we focus on. Who are we? Well, we're appointed to invite people into the same blessing, not condemn, not control, and not judge because that's what we've been shown. We are to have the heart of God to want every person around us to be saved. That is so convicting to me. We are to point to truth with kindness. We're to treat the religious spirit with signs and wonders. We become what we focus on in order to sustain revival. Key number one is this. Next slide, he renews me to renew my world. We become what we focus on. Turn over to John 15 for the last portion of our message. John 15, just incredible passage. The third key is this stay in the tent. Stay in the tent. While you're turning there, I remember the first time I read this passage, I think I was about 20 years old, and it just captured my heart for the kind of man that I wanted to be. This is from Exodus 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. There was a tent of meeting, they'd both go in. And Joshua wouldn't leave. And I just remember saying, God, I want to be the man who doesn't leave the tent. Later, Joshua is actually the one who ends up leading Israel into their destiny. In the ESV, the translation of uh, Joshua chapter 1, it says, Joshua will cause all of Israel to inherit their destiny. He will cause Israel to inherit their destiny. We're raising up a church of Joshua's who, should be, who are to be strong and courageous when they walk out of these doors in order to cause all of Newburgh to inherit their destiny, to inherit what God has for them, the promised land that isn't a location any longer but a place in our hearts where the Holy Spirit comes in and turns this into the land of abundance so that we can live in a land of abundance. Could it be that the presence of God qualified Joshua to cause others to inherit their destiny? Could it be that while Joshua wouldn't leave the tent, while he was in that tent, he was staying there, getting trained up in order to cause others to inherit the same presence? Jesus picks up on this. Look down at your Bibles. Uh, John 15, verse nine says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remain in his love, like Joshua remained in the tent. But the question that we should ask when we read this passage is this. What did Jesus just tell his disciples to make his joy in them and to make that joy complete? Verse 11, it says this, I've told you this. Well, what's this? So that your joy may be in you, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Well, rewind to verse 5. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so Jesus is like, I've told you these things so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. Are you here tonight? You want his joy in you? Yes. Do you want your joy to be complete? Yes, me. Okay, then it's my relationship and vicinity to the Father that sets the effectiveness of my life. Okay, so that's the first key to it. Verse seven says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Next slide. The joy of Jesus and our joy becoming complete is to stay with God all the days of our lives and to get answered prayers as a result. The joy, what he's saying, he said, I've just told you this so that you get joy. What is the, where does it come from? It's remain in me that you may bear a ton of fruit and that you, what does it say? That my father, it's to my father's glory that you bear fruit. Here's what Jesus is saying. You bear fruit by being in me and not leaving that place. If you leave me, you won't have any fruit. So I, I actually think we need to break this down because I think this is just a really important uh, concept for us to get when we're talking about revival. Um, we are invited to remain where Jesus is, okay? Now, we have the Holy Spirit in us. What does that mean? It's not, we don't, we, need to go to, we don't need to go to a place, we don't need to go to Israel, or we don't need to go to a temple or church even. No, what does it mean to remain in him? It's giving my heart and my attention, my mind and my inten- intentions to him in a moment and saying, I'm present with you, Lord. Come, I wanna host you well. What are you saying? What are you doing? Okay, so it's it's having that kind of life, that presence-based lifestyle, where at any point in time, okay, God, well, what is your presence up to? What are you doing? There's a how many of you guys know of the of Brother Lawrence? Uh, he wrote the, the book, Practicing the Presence of God. What well, what did he do? Even as he's washing dishes, in that moment, he's practicing the presence of God. I'm staying I'm remaining, I'm staying close to the vine, connected in with you, Lord. What are you up to? So we're invited to remain and then secondly we're invited to to have his words remain in us okay so to let his life-giving speech his words shape our inward person So so let's read this again. What does it say? I am the vine, you are the branches. Verse five, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, okay? So I'm gonna live that presence-based lifestyle. I'm gonna always be cognizant of, okay, what are you up to, Lord, in this moment? What are you saying uh, about this situation, about this scenario, okay? Then it says this in verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. What does it look like for the word of God to remain in us? What does the word of God do? It does two things. It gives and sustains life, right? We live because God speaks. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. So it's, it's staying connected to life. But also, what does the word of God do? It prunes. Look up at verse one. It says this. I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Notice this. You are already clean. Now, that word in Greek can be cut. You have already been cut because of the what? The word I've spoken to you. What does the word of God do? It does two things. It speaks life over us, and then it also, when we allow that word to remain in us, what are we doing? We're connecting ourselves to the gardener so that we get pruned. So that those words of God, the the issue comes up, the fear comes up, the temptation comes up, and we go, oh, I'm not ashamed, ashamed about this. I bring it to you because now I know right here, Lord, that's where I need to be cut. Cut me with a word. What would you say about this? Then, okay, so we're on that same page. It's the the remaining in him, presence-based lifestyle. It's the keeping his words in here, allowing them to cut us deep. When we do that, when our priority is staying with his presence and allowing his words to cut us, the result will be answered prayer. The result will be answered prayers. See, we were designed to reflect the splendor of God by bearing fruit. What is it? Verse eight, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And what is the fruit in this context? Well, it's answered prayers. Verse seven, look at that again. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. What is that? It's prayer. So when you're remaining in me, the words are remaining in me and they're, and they're cutting me, right? I get to ask whatever I wish and it will be done. Why? Because it's to God's glory that he answers my prayers. Now, this has been an often misunderstood passage because how many of you guys have prayed for stuff and not gotten it before? Like me, right here. I've done that. I've prayed for things and I haven't gotten them. And so I read this and I go, eh, really? I don't know about that. That seems a little bit crazy, huh? Here's the point. Requests or prayers made from his presence and living off of his words that cut and prune get answers requests and prayers made from his presence and living off of his words get answers. God wants to answer your prayers. It's this amazing reality. I mean, do you know what this is? we focus on this side of things so often we go, but he hasn't answered this prayer or that prayer or this prayer. When in reality we should be reading this and go going wait, he's tied his glory with my fruitfulness. Um what? Like, I thought God, like, God is, he's glorious. Yes, but what does it say? It is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. He has tied his glory to your fruitfulness. But, when you try to go get for yourself, he didn't answer that prayer, I'm just gonna go get it for myself. When you try to get for yourself outside of living off of his words and his presence, whatever you get, Even if you go get that thing, trust me, it doesn't complete your joy and it doesn't glorify him. He ends up looking more like a vending machine and you end up looking more like a spoiled child. Prayers from the presence are prayers that come from a full identity. So that you aren't praying from a deficit. Like, oh God, I wish you would do that, but I know you probably won't, but please No, prayers from the presence remaining in him, his words remaining in me, they they come from a place where I go, God, I'm fully convinced of your character and I'm aligning my will with yours. Often this is how it goes deep down. We think, hey, you know, if God answers this prayer, if this goes well, I can really see myself giving more of myself to this God. But prayers from relationship, from remaining, prayers that get answers, they're like this. God, I request this, but not at the expense of our relationship. I request it from all that I know about who you are and what your intentions are. And if I misunderstand or I ask for something that you're actually trying to prune in me, then I place my desire to remain in you above my desire for this thing to happen. Three keys to sustaining renewal. First, he renews culture by renewing us. Second, we become what we focus on. Third, stay in the tent. Set a value for remaining. What these three things add up to is this, a lifestyle of presence, and as a result, a lifestyle of power. A lifestyle of presence and a lifestyle of power. Recently, I met with an old friend of mine who, uh, he, he he, he went through at one point in our conversation and named all these people that we had known in the past who have kind of gone off the rails in their lives, and and uh, he kind of lamented. He said, you know, all of them, what they all had in common is that they pursued the gifts of the Spirit. It's like, hmm, okay, I guess that's kind of true. And he's like, yeah, every single one of them, they all went after power, and their lives went off the rail. There, there was divorces, there were uh, relational uh, pain, there's, there, there's people, some of them, they don't even follow Jesus anymore, and neither do their spouses, just a complete wreckage. And he, he, he was right. He's, I said, yeah, you know, you're right. They, the, all of those people who pursued power without the presence, the results were disastrous. There's this belief that exists that essentially says that there are some people who are designed by God to be more interested in the mental pursuit of God, the academic pursuit of God. There are others who are more concerned and designed to be concerned with the mysticism or personal piety of God. And still there are others who are more wired for the social justice side of Jesus. And then you have the wacky people at St. I mean, sorry, you have the wacky people who mainly focus (laughs) on the presence of God, on his power, on healings, prophetic stuff, and that sort of thing. Could it be that God's presence isn't given without a demand to see heaven come? Could it be that there's not different types of people meant to pursue God with different ways, but all of us are meant to pursue his presence and walk in power as a result. You see, answered prayer means signs and wonders. Answered prayer means seeing people getting healed. Answered prayer means aligning. When you pray from from that presence, from that remaining, and you pray off of his words, what are you doing? God, what are you saying about this person? I'm gonna align my will with yours and pray the same thing. And guess what? God wants people healed. God wants people set free. God wants people to come every night and to receive prophetic words and insight about their destiny. God wants all of those things and he's given us his Holy Spirit because he wants it that bad. We are not given the Spirit without being given an assignment. Here's what heaven coming looks like. Luke chapter uh, 10. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. It could be argued that without a demonstration of God's healing power has the kingdom really come? Luke 10, or Luke 11, verse 20 says this, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come near to you. Mark 16, verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. Are you guys, do you guys believe? Okay, these signs are gonna follow you then. (laughs) So as a refresher, why do we wanna see signs and wonders? Next slide. Because it's heaven's reality coming to bear on our town. Do you wanna see our town look like heaven? I do. That's why we need to see signs and wonders. It's not because we're pursuing power for just a kick or like, hey, this church is really exciting. They pray for healing. What? No, it's to see the kingdom come. It's uh, why do we want to see signs and wonders? Because it's God's goodness and kindness being made tangible through demonstrations of love. Like, do you know how you know how love somebody feels when their hands get touched and they don't have pain in them anymore? Do you know how love somebody feels when they have been struggling with allergies their whole life and they come on a Sunday and they get healed from hay fever? That's happened here. It's his love. To withhold the power of the kingdom is to withhold a tangible expression of God's love for people. And we should be very careful when we, if we do that. It's a reminder of his intentions for all of humanity. When I see somebody get healed, or when I see some financial breakthrough in somebody's life, or I see peace come to a house, do you know what? I, I don't get jealous because healthy children don't get jealous of their brothers and their sisters. What I do is I go, if he did it for them, then it reveals his intentions for what he has for all of his children. And it increases our confidence in his character. The entire point of power is to draw us into relationship with a good father. A revival will die out without a people who understand and live these three keys. He renews my world by renewing me. I become what I focus on, and so I must stay in the tent. Let's stand up together. I just want to read this over you as we uh, close. And if you will, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray this over you guys. So just go ahead and put your hands out in front of you. This is just a symbol that just says, God, I want to receive what you have for me and I want to let go of anything that you don't have for me. This is Isaiah 61, just read a little bit differently. The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you because the Lord has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You are oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor you will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated.